0: to try to convince me to save the world. Some of our ideas are a bit ambitious. I know how hard this is for you to hear. Governments should be afraid of their people. you got the makings of
1: greatness in you. What we do in life
0: echoes in eternity. If you could see your whole life from start to
1: finish, then we would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. I have to believe in a world outside my own. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks.
0: Love is the one thing that transcends dimensions of time and space. Are you watching closely? Welcome, my beautiful, wonderful listener, to the Talking About Talking podcast, where we talk about everything and anything, and we talk about talking about those things. Today, I am joined by Scott Wilson. He worked for the OPP for 33 years, and he now teaches at St. Clair College for the Justice Program. He also teaches first aid and occasionally still helps with training for the OP. Thank you for joining me, Scott. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you, man. Something that I've been thinking about, Scott, you didn't, like you you teach, you, you were saying, what, what were you saying? You're going to be teaching here pretty soon at St. Clair College. What did you say? There?
1: Criminal code and federal statutes Yeah,
0: sounds incredibly boring. <laughs> uh, but with that, I have in my lifetime been very cynical about government and the judicial system. And I still am quite a lot cynical. Are about... you a
1: retired cop too then? <laughs> yeah,
0: no, no, I'm not. Oh. Uh, what I'm getting at is that I've more recently started to think about these things, these systems that are in place. And uh, they're in a different light, because I thought I, I just maybe maybe a month ago, I started thinking it's really easy to criticize these things. Being a critic is easy, right?
1: Absolutely. armchair quarterback, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I got to thinking, well, yeah, there's a lot of flaws with these systems. They all you can say these systems suck in a lot of ways. But also, they're also pretty good. They're also so, like, we also don't have just an abundance uh, regarding the judicial system. We also don't have an abundance of rape and theft and murder right now. So that's cool.
1: We're pretty fortunate that way. Yeah.
0: Right. So what is your take on those thoughts? Just, just kind of the balance of, like, the incredible flaws that the judicial system has, as well as how incredibly well it does to keep a little bit of I don't know, tranquility, however you want to say it, with current society.
1: So... Interestingly enough, when I teach um, at St. Clair College, some of the students, the first thing that they have a hard time understanding about our judicial system is that the Canadian judicial judicial system works by the letter of the law. And that means that technically guilt or innocence hasn't got as big a role in things as people think. Um, proving something happened is of course, paramount. However, if the letter of the law isn't followed, guilt or innocence is irrelevant because if the letter of the law is not followed to a T, then there's a violation of the charter and that charge or that law, that whole thing is thrown out. Um,
0: so what you mean by that is like if something happens and the like step-by-step process of the police or the judge or anyone in the system, if they make mistakes, it all just goes away?
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So um, I arrest a guy because he's uh, impaired driving. He's all over the road. Several people call about it. They're worried he's going to kill somebody or work or or drive off the road or whatever. And I arrest him and I forget one step of the system. I forget to uh, let him make a phone call to a lawyer or or let him know that he called a lawyer. Say I forget that step. I got 10 witnesses in court who saw him driving all over the road. Uh, Everybody could smell the alcohol on him. But because I did not inform him that he could talk. To duty counsel or his lawyer or whoever, the case can be thrown out.
0: Hmm. That's such a catch-22. Because, in one perspective, you might think, well, that sucks. This guy clearly made some errors and we don't want him driving. We want him punished for his terrible decisions. But, on the same token, if you're the kind of person that makes poor decisions at some point, you kind of want the system set up in a way where you need to be treated appropriately and you should, you deserve that phone call or you deserve to be able to call a lawyer or whatever.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that's understandable, um, but it gets a little, that's just a very simple breakdown of of how it works as a real simple example, mm-hmm. but it gets more complicated than that. Um, it gets to the point where, okay, so you told him he could make that phone call. Um, But he doesn't get the lawyer that he wanted to talk to because his lawyer isn't available. Um, So he talks to another lawyer and then he goes to court and says, I didn't get a chance to talk to my lawyer that night. Um, And it's possible the judge could say, yeah, you know what? You should be allowed to talk to your own lawyer, even though he wasn't available. We're going to throw this case out like that's a stretch. But there's case law where things similar or even less have uh, had the case tossed for that reason. So sometimes it's very hard uh, for the public and for people to understand. Understand that we work by the letter of the law. So everything falls on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada. And if it's not followed exactly perfectly the way the judges think it should be, or the Supreme Court of Canada thinks it should be, then the charges are, are gone.
0: Hmm. I do want to discuss the Charter of Rights and Freedoms at some point. You mentioned uh, like every step of the way, you got to do the things right or everything gets thrown out. People notoriously know the Miranda rights in the United States. and the, Yes,
1: because we're indoctrinated with American TV.
0: Right. And that it's important that you read your Miranda rights properly. Early. like everyone knows that because of pop culture or whatever it's the same in canada we just have something different right
1: yes we Ooh. don't call them the miranda rights we have charter of rights and freedom
0: oh but what is it called when you have to read them off there or you have to like say this thing when you're arresting them it's
1: simply you read them their rights oh okay. rights to counsel
0: oh rights to counsel yeah that's it okay yeah uh so when it comes to charter of rights and freedoms i with i mean i mean let's just dive right in here scott with the <laughs> the latest happenings Around the world and our wonderful holy leaders' decisions, there has been a lot of conversation recently about the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And Absolutely, people discussing how they've been compromised on a grand scale. What do you think is causing people to feel that way?
1: Well, the problem with some things that the government is allowed under our Charter, um, there are exceptions that the government can take steps that can take. They can take to circumvent the Charter of Rights and Freedoms if they can prove that it's for the overall good of society. So I'll give you an example. Um, case law has said over the years that in Ontario, the police cannot routinely stop and ask you questions about being a driver. It's it's against your Charter of Rights and Freedoms hmm. to be randomly stopped.
0: Isn't that what a, a ride program is?
1: Absolutely, and that's where I'm going with this. Okay. So it's against your Charter of Rights to be randomly stopped. Usually there has to be a reason for police to stop you, an HTA violation or some other reason, right? But the government of Ontario Um, is allowed to change that and there's a clause in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that allows for that to happen if they can say that the overall good being done by that breach of the Charter helps society. So Most people agree that ride programs are a good idea because it it discourages impaired driving and it gets people off the road. And most people feel that the slight inconvenience of being stopped for 30 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever to say, hey, have you been drinking tonight? Isn't so bad a breach of their charter rights. So the government has said, yeah, we're gonna implement that clause and allow that traffic stop made, even though it's random and it's constitutionally wrong, we're gonna circumvent the system and use this clause to allow that to happen. Hmm. Because it's better for society to get drunk drivers off the road, we save lives, prevent loss, property damage, all that stuff. And generally people go, yeah, you know what? Uh, okay, I agree with that one. Mm-hmm. So that's one way our rights are violated, technically.
0: Yeah, I see. I saw on Facebook recently someone posted like, hey, there's a ride program here or something like that. Just a heads up to people. And they got roasted on Facebook because everyone was like, those are there for a reason, dumbass. You're not supposed to tell people about them. Like you're only helping drunk drivers. Yeah, which, pretty much. Yeah.
1: You want to be the person told the drunk to go around and you find out that they that,
0: hit somebody.
1: Yeah, they hit and killed somebody. Then how do you feel about that, right? Oh, yeah. shit, I let that guy know where the ride program was. He went around and killed somebody on the adjacent road or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, the clause that I'm thinking of, sorry, it I had a breach there. It's called the notwithstanding clause or section 33 of the charter
0: okay, okay, and that is to give-
1: Circumvent portions of the Charter.
0: Okay, so what, I mean, then that just begs the obvious question, what the hell the point is of a Charter of Rules with a rule that says you don't have to follow these rules?
1: Well, it's, there ha- so Parliament has to sit on it. Um, they have to, they more or less have to agree on it. Um, it's not something they can just arbitrarily do. It has to be proven that it's it's for the betterment of all um, okay. before it's allowed.
0: Okay. Um, So before I get into that, because that's a whole pile of weeds, the thing where you said most people agree that like ride programs are a good thing. Was there a vote on that? How do we know that most people agree?
1: Um, Honestly, I don't know how that came into be. But I know that it can only override certain sections of the Charter, um, uh, which deal with fundamental freedoms like legal rights and equality rights and stuff like that. Uh, But it can't be used to override democratic rights. Um, What's the
0: difference between equality rights and democratic rights?
1: Legal rights and equality rights, um, like they can breach the Charter to, like I said, to stop you arbitrarily, even though it's been proven that an arbitrary detention is wrong under the criminal code. Mm -hmm. They've used that to circumvent that, to say that, yeah, okay, it is bad but we want drunks off the road, so we're going to allow it.
0: Right. So what's an example of a democratic right? Like a right to vote?
1: Yeah, those are, yeah, can't change that.
0: Okay, so they can do things like stop me, potentially search my things, referring to a couple years ago, make me stay in my house, not let me leave the country, all those things, but they can't take away my right to vote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think out of those two things, I would prefer have my right to travel and leave my house as opposed to my right to vote. Yeah, well. If I have to pick one. Under a gun, you know.
1: Yep. Um, yeah. Look at so look at Doug Ford. Um, the unions want to strike. Teachers union wanted to strike, and Doug Ford said that he would he would invoke the uh, the uh, notwithstanding clause to prevent them from from striking.
0: Yeah, that was a little bit rude, wasn't it?
1: So depending on your perspective, right? So parents are saying, hey, uh, we, society is set up now that both parents work and kids have to go to school because there's not enough daycare, mm-hmm. and now you're going to say that you're going to allow these teachers to strike and then what do i do with my kid now i can't go to work i'm losing my rights or whatever so the government's like well you know what then we'll prevent them from strike um
0: yeah but then you're taking away the right to protest yes is that not a democratic right
1: yes uh well I, it is is it in a sense but
0: is, yeah. is a right to protest a democratic right or is it uh what are the other ones uh equality and we
1: well, have the right to peaceful protest
0: yeah but does that fall under a democratic right
1: i you know what honestly i'm not sure the difference oh, okay i'm not yeah. sure the
0: difference um because if it does then he's misusing the non clause
1: yeah exactly um Shouldn't but they like have a i list? say there's, i don't like, know who decides um eventually i'm sure it goes up before the supreme court of canada and then the nine Judges that sit on the Supreme Court of Canada may ultimately make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, we're governed pretty much by whatever the Supreme Court of Canada says when it comes to the charters and arguments about rights.
0: And there's nine people in the Supreme Court of Canada.
1: I believe it's nine. Uh, it's been a while since I taught that portion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so why are these nine people so special?
1: They're appointed by their peers.
0: Um, do they have like a four year window where they can operate like the prime minister or have these people been in power for like decades? I think it's
1: a lifetime
0: appointment. Um, so if you're friends with one of those guys,
1: yeah, it's, that's the whole thing with lawyers. They, they, uh, they decide who has experience and, and judgment knowledge to be better than them or higher than them, I guess, ultimately in Canada.
0: So lawyers Uh, decide who become judges? Lawyers.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: What? How does that work? (laughs)
1: Oh, this is getting out of my belly. All
0: right, all right. We'll st- we'll stay within we'll stay within your uh, toolkit here. So that that's something I just not necessarily look for expertise, but maybe a little bit with opinion. This whole idea that like let's go back to the greater good. That's <laughs> the greater good. Oh, that shit just bugs me. It's like okay, define good and bad. Just go ahead and do that. It's like one yeah, of the well, most difficult things to do philosophically is defining absolutely. good and bad. Yes, right. Yes. So like, and then and then if we talk about consensus good, good that a group of people agrees on that's just absurd like good luck finding that there's controversy everywhere especially right now with the internet and everything going on there's just division all over the place polar opposites everywhere extremists everywhere and so like when it, this whole um non-withstanding clause is based on for the greater good well who the hell picks what that is <laughs> Like
1: uh, that's that's something you got to talk to lawyers about. That's we're starting to get way ahead of me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm,
1: in my area of expertise.
0: No, I, I hear you. <laughs> I'm just saying like what what are your thoughts on that? Like how do we trust that these people are going to have a greater good that's going to be, you know, good?
1: Well, you're never going to you're never going to have a 100% agreement with anybody. It, it just it's impossible, right? Um in my mind, I think ride programs are a good thing. I think it puts uh, people on notice that they could be stopped randomly if they've been drinking and it makes you think twice
0: yep, i agree about
1: getting behind the wheel so that one in my mind is a good idea
0: agreed Absolutely. Um,
1: As far as making teachers um, go to work and not being allowed to strike, I have my own personal opinion about that too. And as a police officer, I was never allowed to strike, even though our contract was uh, expired and we didn't agree with what was happening. We had to continue working and our association had to go to an arbitrator or whatever to get an agreement.
0: So Um, why is that? Why are you not allowed to strike?
1: Well, I guess we're deemed an essential service, right? Yeah, you got to have cops on the road if they don't go out because they're on strike. and but, people know they the cops aren't going to do anything. It's not going to be good, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Because if the cops are striking, then people are going to be like, hey, this is a great opportunity. And yeah, I've then, always
1: wanted a brand new diamond bracelet for my wife. And there's one in the window at the jewelry store.
0: <laughs> well, I, I guess that would just mean your, your strikes would hold a lot of power.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're not allowed to strike. We And so lots of times in my career, our association has gone to arbitration with the government because neither party could agree. And ultimately it gets resolved. And ultimately the independent arbitrator looks at it and goes, okay, um, these other police services got this much of a raise and they did this with their benefits and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to compromise and say, you're going to get X amount, right? And it usually works out. I mean, so sometimes-
0: arbitrator is a middleman to- to communicate with the government. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, and I and I, I recall lots of times when we were two years past our our contract. We had worked for two years without a contract. They mm-hmm. couldn't come to an agreement. Really. But you know, eventually, that it's going to be resolved. Mm-hmm. You know. So, I don't know personally. I I think we're again we're off topic from from policing, but yeah, that's uh, okay. honestly, I I think we're it's, just
0: talking about shit, man. That's how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I
1: think uh, in this day and age, there's not a whole lot of need to strike. Like the olden days when you got fired for looking at your boss the wrong way or, you know, they just didn't like you. So they fired you or you had no rights if you got injured at work. Oh, well, you're we're not hiring you back and all that stuff. Those days are done. There's legislation in place because those unions fought hard to get all that changed. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But I think we're at the point now where what does striking do? It doesn't benefit either side.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know that I can have an opinion on it because I think it's all too complicated for me to have a good enough opinion on it. I think the ability to strike is important because I think powers that be can always overuse their power and like not being able to strike kind of loses your defense against that.
1: Yeah, yeah and that's the argument, right? That's that's a big mm-hmm. thing.
0: Yeah, I would like to think back to this kind of greater good thing. I know it's outside your wheelhouse, but to me, I'm like, I feel like we should try to at least give a little bit of definition to the greater good. Like maybe these powers that be should should sit down for a little while and hash out well what the argument is
1: it's a democratic society and if the, the majority majority rules right so majority mm-hmm. of people say that this is a good idea then that's the decision that gets made right mm-hmm. so if you're in the minority you feel like you've been slighted and your rights have been violated but the majority of the population is saying no it's i agree you should be stopped at a ride program so mm-hmm. sorry about your luck right and that's yeah. That's the thing about a democratic society.
0: Yeah. What about the uh, the when it comes to the right to strike and the right to protest? While we're kind of on that subject and we're in Canada, I feel like we should at least mention the teeny tiny little. Protest we had recently with a couple trucks in Ottawa. (laughs) Yeah, the the fringe minority.
1: Well, I have my opinion. Would you like Um, to share
0: that opinion, or and it it?
1: has nothing to do with the Ontario Provincial Police. I want that said on here because uh, I don't want to get in trouble. No, you're not representing Uh,
0: anyone. You're representing Scott Wilson.
1: I I think the Trudeau government was wrong in implementing the Emergency Measures Act. That was not a threat to the government or a threat to the country. And I personally think that that was BS. Um, When the last time that clause used in Canada, there was um, an independent, uh, sorry, what's the term I'm looking for? Well, Trudeau's father implemented that back in the 70s during the FLQ crisis. And there was a diplomat from a foreign country that was kidnapped and murdered. Um, There was bombs going off all over Quebec City. Uh, Things were blowing up. Mailboxes were blown up. There was a bit of mayhem going on. So, yeah, at that time, I can see that. You know what?
0: Well, I mean, exploding exploding mailboxes, bouncy castles. They're kind of the same thing, (laughs) right? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, like... I've, I've talked to a few different people about this because i mean when it comes to conversations like this i just enjoy them i enjoy talking about things if you couldn't guess the people that are against the trucker convoy that people even in canada that i've talked to that are like oh they shouldn't have done that and blah, blah blah they'll always be like oh i have a cousin or i have a friend with a brother that whatever that lives in ottawa and they'll they're honking kept them up all night or they couldn't get to their job or their kids couldn't get to school and all of those things i'm like yeah okay and nobody died like <laughs> they weren't killing and pill And raping. Oh, they said if some random people in this massive group of people said some racial slurs to you or were mad at you for some stupid reason. Yeah, you're gonna get assholes in large groups of people. There's assholes everywhere. Like, and then you see the photos around social media of like the Canadian flag upside down with like a swastika painted on it or something, and it's like the same photo propagated over and over and over and over again. And it's like, oh, okay. So the news outlets went and found one little group of real assholes, took a picture of it, and then spread that everywhere but if you were at the time paying attention to social media people were posting stories and videos all the time of actually being there and there was just people partying all over the place and so many videos that you can still find of like the truckers being compliant and you're gonna come take our gas okay you guys showed up with freaking automatic rifles to come take our fuel but fine we'll give it to you anyway you know and there's just so much about it that isn't being shared in the mainstream media about how uh peaceful of a protest it really was because that doesn't support the mainstream agenda Well, see
1: that's a whole nother discussion we can go into right okay uh how much
0: trust the media? exactly exactly (laughs) and that's why i I, like i don't trust the media because like who's the media funded by and how does that tie into the government and then like you know that all the money in the government and the media are all going to tie into one nice neat little nest and so the government's not going to allow the major media companies to propagate any information that would go against the government so then clearly any negative anything negative for the decisions they're making is just going to be squashed or just not spread right
1: well there's that thought absolutely is it happening i i'm not going to go into it i and i'm not I saying, have my own feelings again
0: right? yeah i'm I, not saying that it's happening definitely either just to be clear it just seems so obviously i don't know possible it's like
1: <laughs> well the news the news media has changed uh when i was a kid and i'm old <laughs> So I can say this when you watched the news, there was two sides Mm -hmm. and they would show you these are the these are the people striking. This is what they're saying. These are the people that are uh, representing the factory. This is what they're saying. And they would just leave it at
0: that. Mm-hmm. they would just and, uh... and
1: it was up to you to form your own opinion now the news is telling you what you should think yeah and that bothers me that they're taking sides they're supposed to be independent fact reporters that's it not taking sides not telling you who you should vote for or who said this or who said that it strictly should be a neutral investigation
0: i totally agree they they should be there to share data share information about what's going on
1: as a police officer over the years um, you know you go to a call you have to have have an open mind you're you know you go to a neighbor dispute and you have one neighbor saying that their neighbor did this and the other one's denying it and saying that they didn't do that and it goes back and forth and back and forth I have to be neutral when I get there I have to decide okay is this real is did this happen is there proof of this happening and and it's based on facts and and evidence it's not he said she said and this is what I well I think he's an asshole and you know well that's great you think that but from what I'm seeing there's nothing been done Wrong, and you know, so for me to watch the media now and see how well you down in the states, it's horrendous, yeah, you how one
0: sided it all is.
1: You got your CNN and your Fox News on complete polar opposites, mm-hmm. right? It's like, why um, would you
0: trust either of them, really? Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and and we're starting to see that in Canadian media now, and it's it's disheartening because I always was proud of the fact as Canadians we didn't have that crap going on up here, but it's sadly it's getting that way, yeah, with like the Ottawa protest for example the CBC ran like you said all those pictures over and over the same pictures of the one picture of a flag with a swastika on it and they tried to label everybody by that one picture mm-hmm. it's like the social media with policing now one cop steps out of line among thousand thousand cops and that's the story that the media wants you to read you don't read about the 800,000 calls that went successfully and people were happy with the results but please help them you only get the one bad cop that did something stupid
0: (laughs) yeah oh there's so much to go into here so first i want to step back a little bit has there ever been a moment in your career where the media was propagating an opinion or a story or a perspective and then that affected uh your work where there was something going on that you could see a change in the culture and the people you were getting a influx of certain kind of call or anything like that no,
1: not directly. Um, I was pretty lucky that way. Um, a lot of that stuff hasn't been going on that long, so it's only in the last ten or fifteen years that you're starting to see that stuff. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, most of my my uh, issues with the media was it was always an inopportune time for them to be there. That was the most inconvenient. You're in the middle of an investigation. There's been a horrendous car crash. People are dead. Family hasn't been notified, and the media wants. To get footage of it all and so they can show people and you're like you know what can you just give us a little bit here because this is not appropriate for everybody to see Mm -hmm. and the people that are missing loved ones haven't been notified yet you know uh, it's been more of an inconvenience or a pain in the ass than anything Mm -hmm. but i've never had i haven't had any personal experience with them influencing my job because of public opinion or whatever
0: they often will report with uh creative liberties have you ever? oh absolutely have you ever been involved in a substantial call that you later saw on media and kind of just had like a what the hell how did they take that out of that or why did they go that direction or anything like that
1: not directly not me directly i've seen it um and i'm not going to go into this at all but i've saw it during the Iprawash clash.
0: What's the Iprawash clash?
1: Uh, when the First Nations people took over Iprawash, um, the military base at Iprawash. Oh, okay. They basically reclaimed their land, that the mm. government said back in the 40s, hey, we're taking this land, we'll give it back to you after the war. And they never, ever did. Mm. And the First Nations people said, hey, we want that land back, you've been promising it, we're taking it. And there was a clash with the police and there was, It's it's a whole nightmare. Mm. Uh, There was some facts that happened in that that I know happened, and the media brushed it over Mm. and uh, never brought any of it to
0: light. That's too bad.
1: And we were told as police officers that that that's the way it's going to stand. And if you don't like that, that's too bad. Rough. Um, Yeah. So, but I'm not going to go into all that because that'll open a whole can of worms. That's all good. Yeah.
0: So you were talking about like showing up to disputes and I'm sure that's commonplace in that kind of work. Because I mean, realistically, I had a few years back, uh, Clarkie, you know, Clerkey. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was like basically telling me that the OPP need guys, like they need guys. You should go apply. I was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know, to end with the idea. And then my fiance was basically like, no, don't do it because... She was like, everyone changes, like everyone becomes a different person because the, the job is really like you're signing up to deal with people that are in need, but also predominantly the bottom of the barrel people like and not not necessarily who they are as a person i just want to be clear on that it might be their circumstance it might be where they were born how they grew up and stuff like that they're not necessarily all bad people i would say very few of them are it's most often going to be circumstance but you're still dealing with the bottom of the barrel people and you're signing up for that so it can be hard on people to have to be around that what what is is your take on that
1: absolutely and when i teach uh when i speak to the students taking the the police foundations program at at college, I talk to them about how this job will change your life. It's you're dealing with um, people at their worst. You're almost always dealing with unfortunate circumstances. It's very rarely a joyful experience. Um, somebody's had something done wrong to them. They've been a victim of something. So normal people you meet are at their worst because they're victimized. The people that are causing the victimization are like you say, usually the bottom of society, the the desperate people, the put in circumstances where they may or may not have a choice to do what they do. And that's you know, they've made the wrong choice, obviously, by by society standards. And yeah, so you you see that negativity your whole life and deal with people who are angry and upset and you never see a lot of joy um, unfortunately so it's rare when it does happen and it's treasured for sure but it changes you absolutely it changes you and the cynicism towards policing um especially now with the media I mean, like I said, you have, you know, the OPP has 6,000 guys on the road. One guy screws up and does something wrong. And that's what makes the news, not the other 6,000 guys that are doing their job properly every day. Mm. It's that one bad guy that's in the news. Um, So it's very disheartening. And what other profession do you get centered out for? Um, I mean, there are some, but if you walk into a place of business, nobody goes, oh, there's Trevor, the personal trainer. He's going to look at me and say, oh, I'm fat and out of shape. And he's probably going to lecture me about getting thin. I sometimes up,
0: get that but sometimes <laughs> but you're right but very rarely
1: do you ever walk in somewhere and somebody goes oh the cops are here uh, hide your donuts or yeah. oh there's the cop he's out having a drink he's probably going to drink and drive when he goes home and you're always judged because you're the cop and uh so it changes you 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 lose friends you start socializing with only people that you feel you can trust and uh mostly other cops because they're going through the same thing you're going through and you close down from society because the media tells you the cops are bad and hate cops. So, and you're only seeing people when it's bad. And negative, um, you start getting tired of people, and you don't want to deal with people. And that's your job. Um, yeah, it's it's hard on a person, and you need you need mental health uh, methods to get you out of that. Um, an interesting psychologist that I used to talk about when I did training was the way he works. It is uh, so as a cop, you're walking around all day long, and you're in a state of anxiety because you have to you have to watch your six all the time. There's bad guys out there that hate cops. They're gonna do things to you. So you have to be on the lookout all the time. You have to be watching, you have to be alert. So your heart rate is elevated most of the day. Your metabolism is elevated most of the day because you're constantly in a state of watch. Then when you go home, you relax and you bottom out because you've been at that high and it's exhausting keeping your body and your metabolism up that high all day long. So you go home and you relax and you crash. And eventually what happens is you start associating work with feeling good because you're upbeat, your heart rate is higher, your metabolism's faster, and you start equating home life with depression because you're depressed, your metabolism slows down, everything shuts down, you don't wanna deal with people because you've been dealing with people all day. And and this psychologist talks about how you have to break that monotony. And, uh, and if you don't know how, there's a lot of cops that are in a dire straits right now because they don't know how to break out of that cycle. Hmm. Uh, and what he says is you got to get out and, and participate in the in your municipality get it out and play uh, play with your kids outside go to get involved in sports, get involved with other people, right? Hmm. Um, I'm fortunate in that my wife used to make me get out of the house when I came home. Um, so yeah, it's it changes a person drastically. Um, I don't have any of the friends that I grew up with or went to high school with. I don't, I haven't seen them for years. Um,
0: and did you cut ties with them or did they cut ties with you? Or do you, was it just kind of just, a mutual thing?
1: I think we just drifted apart because mm-hmm. there's so much difference now in perspectives. And if you're not part of that police environment, trying to, explain to people what you do and why you do it when they disagree with you, it gets exhausting. Mm-hmm. So you, you just avoid those people.
0: Yeah. Well, changing people's minds is really difficult. That's one thing I talk about on this pretty extensively, uh, which we can get into if you'd like. But the uh, part where you're talking about how, how much it changes you and this like running on high all day. And you mentioned like 6,000 people employed by the OPP. It's kind of like just a statistical guarantee when you think about putting humans in this state of just just high alert fight or flight for so many hours for so many days and then you put a pot of six thousand of them in that state and you give them all this power you're guaranteed to have one of them fuck up oh absolutely guaranteed one of them is going to do something stupid eventually but it's like i don't know at the same time you can't it, like we were talking about before that we don't have an abundance of stealing and rape and murder so we, I'll take the one guy messing up every once in a while <laughs> over the abundance of theft rape and murder right
1: and don't get me wrong there are guys that get hired that probably shouldn't be and there are abuses of power there's guys that get off on having that extra authority um, and there's guys that feel after a while that society owes them something
0: were you ever on scene for something like that
1: um what do you mean
0: like a guy puffing out his chest and doing something stupid.
1: Oh, I've worked with guys like that over the years, and I've made it clear on no uncertain terms uh, I won't tolerate it. You're not doing that around me.
0: um So how does that work when you guys are basically equals?
1: um Well, I I've, usually I can diffuse a situation. I'm very fortunate. I talk well with people, and I get along well with people.
0: And there's lots Scott. of
1: circumstances that I've been to where somebody's gonna lose it and shit's gonna hit the fan, and I've been able to de-escalate. That's good. Um, some guys just don't have that ability. Some guys have the unnatural ability to escalate things beyond where they should be. And then there's a few young guys that just are looking for a challenge and will push buttons to try and get the the fight going or whatever, right?
0: Yeah, that whole try me mentality.
1: Yeah, exactly. They got something to prove, a chip on their shoulder or whatever. And I've worked with all those guys. Uh, I, I've made it known to them that that's not going to happen if you're working with me. That's not the way I operate and I'm not going to tolerate it. And if you go offside and I'm asked about it, I'm going to tell the truth. Sorry, I'm I'm not. Why would I allow something that makes cops look bad to continue to happen?
0: Right. Well, when you boil it down, that puts you in danger, too.
1: Absolutely, it does. And I've explained that to people before. Um, So most times when I worked with those guys, nothing happened because one, I was either there and I could de-escalate it or two, I would show them how to use de-escalation skills instead of, going off the handle.
0: Mm -hmm. So when it comes to de-escalation skills, I'm sure it's like a lot of it is not, I'm sure my guess is that a lot of it is empathy and understanding and making the person feel heard and that kind of stuff. Right. And I feel like a lot of that can carry over into relationships like for sure spousal relationships and such and friendships and like how what's what's the protocol for de-escalating a situation because just in my mind i feel like someone listening to this might be like oh my husband or wife or buddy or whatever it is we always get into you know conflicts about x y or z and then maybe these opp de-escalation strategies would be helpful for that
1: (laughs) Well, kind of, because they're all the same. And what we teach our guys are hooks and triggers. So what is something that's going to trigger them to go offside? Learn what that is and avoid that and learn what's going to hook them in to, to, to allow you to talk to them. So, you know, for example, you go to uh, uh, somebody who's going through a mental breakdown and they and they want to kill themselves or someone else. Um, then you work on not what's the negative thing, not what's causing the problem, but work on other things that are positive in their life and what do they want to you know um yeah your boss is an asshole and you hate him and you want to go to work and shoot everybody there okay um, what's going on in your personal life do you have kids do you have a family oh yeah you have kids okay they calm down when you talk about those things that are important to them so those are the things you focus on Mm. you don't focus on the negative and the things that are irritating them because that gets them riled up that's a trigger Mm. right so you learn by having conversations what makes them angry and what gets them to calm down whatever works at them down that's where you steer the conversation and then eventually when a person feels like they're being heard just like you said and they're being understood then you've built that bond and you start to get trust once you get that trust then people are willing to change or do things for you Mm -hmm. and that's basically in a nutshell what we teach what the OPP teaches and I've taught that for years Um, it's funny how now with the news media um, police training has become all about de-escalation 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 don't shoot people don't take people de escalate And the irony of that is, is we've been doing that for years. That hasn't changed. It's just now the public is seeing it and realizing it for the first time. But we've always had that training and that understanding. Um, so, and I think, um, and this is just my personal opinion, um, But I think the OPP is really good at it because of our background in rural policing. Um, When you're the only guy out there and you're dealing with people alone, you have to be respectful of people and you have to gain their trust and their confidence. Um, So you can't just go in there with five guys, beat somebody into submission and throw them in the back of a car because you're the only guy.
0: Mm You're going to have to use bullets at some point. So you have
1: to be able to de-escalate things. You have to be able to talk to people one-on-one and learn how to communicate and learn how to get cooperation right am i saying it's going to work every time no it's not going to work every time there's people that are high on drugs or alcohol or whatever and no matter what you say to them it's not going to work and
0: or they're just really stubborn
1: (laughs) now you're not talking about your personal life are you maybe
0: no Uh, no so with this de-escalation strategy have you came to a scene or had a moment where it showed up and things were just, like, way on high. And just in your mind, you were like, oh, this shit is too far gone. We are not bringing this back. But, like, you managed anyways.
1: Oh, yeah, lots of time, career. Lots of time. I uh, I can tell you about a, cha- a time when uh, another officer who was notorious for getting into confrontations called for backup because he had stopped a car and the people in the car were not supposed to be with each other. They were on conditions to be not together. And this person had a record for assault police. Uh, several convictions for it. So basically it printed, painted the picture that every time he got arrested, he fought. So this officer calls for backup because he says, it's going to be a fight. There's going to be a Donnybrook. I just know this is going to happen. And so I showed up and I approached the guy. I said, listen, I'm aware of your background. I'm aware of the conditions that you're here. And I don't want to fight and uh, I don't want any problems. We have to do what we have to do. And we had a long talk. And uh, ultimately, he said, yeah, OK, I get it. And he surrendered. And we arrested him and took him in. And he was processed. Um, it's. It's,
0: did it's you have the a conversation whole... with the officer that called back up afterwards?
1: Yeah, I did. And I said, listen, let me do the talking because I, I think I can handle this. I think I can resolve this without any problem. And and I did. And and that's just not everybody has that ability. And I'm very fortunate to have gone through all the years of I did without too many incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife always said, I'm sure that the people that you talk to finally got sick of you talking and just decided <laughs> they would get in the car to get you to shut up. <laughs> And that may very well be. But I always thought it easier to talk than it was to fight. Yeah. Because no matter how good a fighter you are, eventually somebody is going to be better than you. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to be in that position. So, or were there times when I had to physically force somebody to do something? Absolutely, there were. Um, but trust me, it, it was, I went far beyond trying to resolve it be- before it came to that. I'll guarantee it did. Because that was always my philosophy. I don't want to have to fight if I don't have to. And I was lucky. I'm a bigger guy and I've never had too many problems so I was fortunate that way I don't know
0: yeah for whatever reason in my head you your comment from your wife makes me imagine you like showing someone your stamp collection or something like that (laughs) and then Look, this
1: one just my kids I'm yeah. gonna talk we're gonna talk yeah. about
0: this just just take me an officer I don't care about <laughs> your stamps I surrender yeah so yeah. I, I love this because this is like this is what the whole talking about talking thing is all about right one of my main points is that all conflict is misunderstanding oh absolutely yeah yes. I love that you say absolutely because I mean that's what I think and not to make an echo chamber or whatever but I, I have had an individual that I said that and they were like no not all conflict is misunderstanding and I was like oh okay <laughs> let's talk about it I found it intriguing but to me I Every single conflict, at some point or another, involves a certain amount of misunderstanding, and possibly conflict could be a hundred percent misunderstanding. All conflict, it's, I think that's it's possible.
1: a high percentage. Absolutely, I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent uh because honestly, I think there's circumstances where some people are going to hate no matter what you do or mm-hmm. say. And
0: then I would uh, argue that that involves misunderstanding at some point when you boil it down. Yeah, whether it's yeah, like a lack of knowledge be. or something, you know, yeah,
1: yeah, could very well be.
0: Yeah, and um, I just love that you're kind of talking about. A, a very extreme use of using communication to resolve conflict. Cause like that's the premise of what all this is based on, right? What I'm doing here is that you don't need to have conflict, that you can just communicate your way through it, right? I I have this, uh, fantasy of world leaders that are having wars to just instead of murdering a bunch of people, just sitting in a room and talking for like three hours and then going and having a walk and then talking for three hours and then going and eating lunch and then talking for three hours and (laughs) just doing that for days on end until they resolve their conflicts as opposed to blowing the shit out of people that they don't know. Yeah,
1: but war makes money.
0: Yeah, I know. And sadly, unfortunate that we need money. It's too bad. So
1: I've always... I was raised uh, with the "treat people like you want to be treated" rule, hmm. and I'm never above someone else. Um, just because I have money or status that they don't have doesn't make me their superior. And I've always had that attitude growing up and I was raised to believe that. So having that understanding that you're no better than anybody else, you're just not in their circumstances at that particular time gives you a great advantage. And you need to have that empathy to realize that, hey, just because they're having a really bad moment uh, doesn't mean that I have the right to treat them like I'm superior or they don't know what they're doing, you know?
0: Absolutely. And I I think about excuse me. Bless you. Thank you. I think about the what what you're talking about with people being in certain circumstances, and it's funny because some people will take like a little bit of a step in the direction, and they'll go, "Well, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't have made this decision, or I wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, or I wouldn't be behaving like that." And I'm kind of like, "Yeah, okay, maybe," but also, what if you were in every single situation that that person has been in from their birth up until now, then you would just be that person. And Happy. then you would be making the same decision that they're making. And it's yeah, like, you don't
1: know, you don't know what their life has led them to, to, to make that decision. You're not privy to that information. So you just have to understand that whatever set of circumstances led them to this, they felt they were justified. So now we have to come to some form of agreement that, Hey, this behavior has to change, or this is not what society's gonna accept. And yes, I understand your opinion and it's different than mine, but as a police officer, uh, my job is to do what I've been appointed to do. And you at this point have come to this set of circumstances and we need to resolve this. And how can we resolve it peacefully, right? Sometimes, unfortunately, it might lead to charges or whatever, but that's a society thing. Society put those rules in place and hired me to, to, to enforce them. That's, you know, um, but yeah, you you never put yourself ahead of someone else or above them. You, you don't know what led them to those circumstances. So you have to have compassion. You have to have understanding. Um, and you have to have the ability to reach a point where, OK, I've given everything I can give. You're still not cooperating. I have no choice. You've pushed me into a corner and this is how it's going to be resolved. Hmm. you know and that's that's police and as i said i spent years of trying not to have those physical confrontations because I feel, good Lord, this is 2023. I think we're smarter than that. Are I would we? like to hope.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> with the things that are happening in the world, it's, it's hard to say that we're above pretty much anything. That That's something that I find interesting too. You talked about we're smarter than that. And like, yeah, but like, unfortunately, I feel like if the sun has too big of a fart and a solar flare wipes shit out, like, are we just all going to be peaceful everywhere? Like like we are now, I don't think so right like if someone fires a nuke and then shit starts going to hell then all bets are off yeah like is everyone really gonna just be like oh it's 2023 we're peaceful people i don't i think they're gonna it's gonna go down to survival of the fittest pretty quickly and i just absolutely i just try to think about like if that's in our back pocket at all times what does that mean for our current behavior in any given moment you know what i mean
1: well you have these hopes that society's going to go that way i mean look at when the pandemic happened and all of a sudden no, there was no toilet paper and you Mm -hmm. see people walking out of the grocery store with 16 large packs of toilet paper like come on people there's other people that live here too
0: and Um, like you can just get in the shower to clean your bum off (laughs) yes (laughs) right (laughs) like i I have a day yeah i did not understand that like if you don't have it you could use a sink like (laughs) soap and water if you need to might be a little awkward but jesus is toilet paper the thing? Is that really the thing? Yeah,
1: you know, right away, society's going downhill when we can't, we have to have hoard.
0: <laughs> it's just such an odd choice. To, so it weird. was.
1: It was very odd.
0: Yeah, just unusual. So, with the communicating to people, like de escalating, and you're talking about how you're appreciative that you have this skill to do that, I think that's good that you have that awareness because one of the things I talk about is that uh, I say communication sucks and it's in like, it sucks in its efficiency. It's not very good. Like we're sitting here talking and, and like how much have we shared over the last, we've talked for like an hour now. How, how much information have we really exchanged? If you kind of write it all down, it's not much. it's taking a lot of effort just opinions yeah yeah well that too but i mean if we count that as information it's just i'm just saying that talking and communicating is just so clunky and slow and like the human thought is one of the most complex things in all existence and then we're using grunts and gestures to try and exchange them back and forth and it's what what i'm saying is it's definitely a skill it's definitely an ability that is important and i try I, i i think with this, I want to encourage more people to try and strengthen their ability to communicate. And I, what you're talking about, this de-escalation thing, I think is just a direct, excellent example of usefulness in communication and how that can change your quality of life. Because like, if everyone had Scott Wilson's OPP de-escalation <laughs> skills... There would just be so much less conflict on the planet, right? Maybe you're not the best, but I'm just saying in general, you're definitely good at it based on what you're telling us. And so like, I, I just feel like more people need to work on those kind of skills, you know?
1: Yes. And it's unfortunate because society has taken, uh, we communicate better now than we've ever communicated, but actually we're worse soft communicators than we ever were. Mm hmm. Because now we communicate through text message, which doesn't convey your emotions
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and your tone of voice and your, your actual thoughts. It it's, can be taken. I don't know how many times you've received. I'm sure anybody can think of it. They've received a text and went, well, what the hell do they mean by that? Yeah. And then you talk to the person, they're like, well, I meant this. Oh, oh, that's not at all what I thought you meant, you know, because there's no tone of voice. There's no, you know, oh, that was sarcasm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I was pissed when you said that, you know, but there's no, there's no feeling through that.
0: Yeah. We don't have a sarcastica kind of (laughs) text. text. Yeah. (laughs) Tone font to use font. Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: that's that's unfortunate because we communicate better through better means than we've ever commuted for in the world. But we're actually getting worse at it, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And that's something I was just talking to Charisma about the other day, how like we don't have I was like, it's amazing that we don't have new words because like to me, communication is everything. It's just everything it is it is the foundation of our existence it's the most important technology that we have don't work on it we don't improve it we're like electric cars and we're going to space and look at all this medicine and i'm like yeah cool how about we work on you know talking to each other because then everything else gets better that you're trying to work on absolutely all yes. the other shit that you're working as teams on right yeah so like i i said to her we don't come up with new words for example and she's like oh well we do and she's right we do like selfie and all this other shit that's emerging (laughs) as new words and it's just aggravating because it's like okay we have another bullshit word to describe some bullshit stupid stuff that's just not helpful not moving us forward it's not advancing anything okay we can better understand this one stupid little thing that it was 17 year old girls doing and now everyone's doing it and whatever right but i'm like okay the things that i talk about here like uh i have this lego hologram analogy and it's like it's a big explanation on how conversation happens and how when you and I are... So to break it down for you, when you are are talking, it's like we're building a Lego structure together, right? Yes. And every time I say something, I'm adding a piece. And every time you say something, you're at ease. And the problem is... I can't see what you're building and you can't see what I'm building right it's like there's a hologram of a Lego structure floating between us but we each have our own
1: well yeah that's and that's essentially conversation right I have no idea what's going through your mind while you're talking to me and Mm -hmm. you're only giving me tiny bits of what you're actually thinking and the same thing goes for me so we have to communicate better so that and and the best example of that is being in a relationship Mm -hmm. how often in a relationship do you miscommunicate to each other because I didn't realize that hurt your feelings. hmm And then you don't tell me that. So now I'm unawares and I've made it Mm work. So we have to communicate better to understand each other, to say, hey, um, I'm upset about that. And if you don't communicate that, then things get worse. And so that's essentially the the secret of longevity in a relationship is being able to compromise first and foremost and then express yourself properly to your partner. Mm -hmm. Because if you keep things hidden and inside and never really express it properly, you're not communicating properly. And you're not going to get your wants and needs taken care of.
0: Yeah, exactly. The, and that's just a little secret. How often do you miscommunicate to your partner personally? Very rarely. And very rarely does she miscommunicate to me. And I would attest that to a lot of these kind of frameworks that I have, because I've built some of them with her and I've shared them all with her. And having these frameworks makes communication so much easier. The Lego hologram, as an example, I always talk about this difference where I've said it multiple times on the podcast where like if you and I start a conversation and we don't really set intention, we don't really talk about subject. And in your mind, you're building a dragon. In my mind, I'm building a spaceship. Well, they got a lot of similar features, the wings, they fly, there's fire, like, right? And then we get to a breaking point where we realize that you're like, oh, whoa, hang on spaceship dragon which one are we talking about here and then we're like oh we're talking about two separate things that sound very close but they're just not the same thing and so with that understanding on how misunderstanding manifests uh there's been many a times where charisma and i are going back and forth and i'm just like what how are you not getting this and she's like oh i'm building a different lego thing don't worry about it keep going i see what you're building now keep going and it's like okay cool resolved Right.
1: We've had that. My my partner and I, my wife and I have had that many, many times get through and it gets a little heated. And why aren't you understanding this? And then all of a sudden there's that recognition that, yeah, well, oh, we're both working. We're coming from two completely different perspectives. Here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's to bring this back to what I was talking about with new words. To me, it's like this whole analogy of a Lego hologram. I find very useful because it's a visual structure to build on in your mind and you can use it for so many different things to help understand conversation and misunderstanding and how it all happens and how it all comes to be. Because otherwise conversation is not very tangible, right? Absolutely. And and we can better understand things when we use words that we have that can apply to life better. Like we say time flies or time stands still. Well, time, it's be times to describe time, we use words that are based on motion, motion of objects, right? Objects will yes. stand still or fly. Things will fly. They can't, like time isn't a thing. So we have to tie those kind of words to it, right?
1: Yes, to give it tangibility.
0: Exactly. And so to me i'm like this whole lego hologram ridiculousness that i came up with myself why the hell aren't we trying to come up with words that explains that easier why aren't we inventing words that everyone can understand that explains those things that's a great
1: analogy lego thing i love that
0: i do too and so but there's like,
1: probably a word for it japanese or something that's what i mean their culture's been around for a lot longer than ours
0: yeah yeah totally yeah it's like if if because i've heard of that kind of stuff before or two, right? Where you hear of other languages that will have words for things and you hear the description and you're just like, holy shit, why don't we have a word for that, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of just what I'm saying is we should be working on words a little more. It'd be, be useful technology to develop. Have you found in your life any particular word or phrase that you have found especially useful for (laughs) de-escalation or just for any kind of communication? And I'll give you an example. I've worked on, and I can go into more of why this has been useful, but the use of yes and as opposed to yes but I find interesting and incredibly useful because yes, but you're saying yes, and then you're saying no. You're saying I acknowledge what you're saying and i disagree which is not really what i try to say yes and is i acknowledge what you're saying i agree with it and here's more to add to it that's
1: a great phrase Mm T. very good yeah i I never thought of that or and honestly i've never thought about particular phrases that work better for me than any others i i think what's happened over the years is i've learned what works and what doesn't and just added them to my regular vernacular so
0: Mm. Just intuitively.
1: Yeah, without thinking about it. Over the years, you change the way you speak and the way you communicate because you learn what works better. Mm -hmm. Can
0: Um, you remember anything that you used to say that doesn't work particularly well?
1: No, honestly, no, I can't.
0: Um, Nothing comes to mind. I never
1: thought about it before.
0: That's fair. Yeah, not it. Well, I mean, like we're talking about talking, right? Not very many people talk about talking and not very many. People think about talking. They just let it happen. You're right. Like it's astonishing to me because realistically it's it's how you navigate life, right? We're social beings. It's you use your body to navigate physical world and you use your language and your communication to navigate the social world
1: well you think about it communication is what separated us from all the other species on the planet we communicate better than any other species do we or we can get our ideas across better i i don't know those
0: dolphins man and whales and shit like but they haven't figured should. out
1: how to come out of the ocean <laughs>
0: Yeah, but do they need to? Maybe they just got everything they need to. They're, they got so everything they need.
1: So what separated us? What made us decide? Well, I no, I I think that's
0: part of it. I think what you're saying is part of it. I'm just yeah, saying, I really wonder, if, if we're going to cover all bases, I really wonder how well dolphins and whales communicate.
1: Oh, I'm sure they do communicate as much as what works for them. They, they can find food together. They communicate that. They, they can mate and procreate, and, and they communicate through that, absolutely. Whatever they need to exist. But, but we're the only species that communicates our thoughts and feelings, our needs are risen above that. Mm-hmm. And I can express to you what I need to accomplish or what you need to do to help me directly.
0: Mm-hmm. So you just brought to mind a question I've had that's unanswerable. That I kind of want to just see see where you're at with it. <laughs> run by Yeah, run by you. So there's like the the mind-body problem. Where does the mind start and the body start and like where does each of them end or whatever and there's there's the ultimate question of like why why are we here what is our purpose and like there's religions and branches of different things and there's this sense that everyone kind of has this deep-seated why like why do i exist why am i here everyone wants a purpose right? Mm -hmm. And people think about this ultimate purpose of humans in the universe. Why? Why is the universe exist? Why are we part of it? Why everything, right? And so I've thought about, it seems like there's two possibilities that I can think of probably more. But the two possibilities that I can think of that I'm trying to chew on is one is the fact that we have this why, this existential why. Why does everything exist? This philosophical wonder. Yeah. Is that sense enough evidence that there is an answer, right? Is this a cumulative sense of everyone having this same question? Why are we here? Is that enough evidence that there must be? Be a reason, right? Because that seems to be what most people operate under is that well, we all wonder, we're all wondering, so obviously there has to be an answer, right?
1: Yes, and that's why we've created religion.
0: Exactly. And that's why everyone was looking to, to the stars for answers, and that's where a lot of and then look into psychedelics, and that's where a lot of religions came from was psychedelics and stars, and crazy weird shit. I'm wondering, what about another option? What about through evolution? We developed our prefrontal cortex, by eating meat or whatever it was, are increasing calories. And what if the brain just developed this questioning of why? Why is it when I strike this rock to this other rock, it creates a spark? Why is it that dropping that on my foot hurts? Why is it that this animal behaves in this way? Why is it that this bush smells like this? Why? And all these whys helped us judge things in the world, help us better understand the universe around us so that we could survive better. Right? Absolutely
1: whys are why we're where we're exactly we're here
0: exactly if we weren't wondering why every step of the way we just wouldn't exist we wouldn't have made it this far that so then,
1: and the constant need to improve or yes. Changed.
0: Yes, and we could talk about that. I want—I'll address that in a second. So I wonder, this incessant wondering of why of every little thing, maybe through evolution, that has just conflated to a wondering of why we're here, and that's the root of why we wonder why we exist. Maybe it's just an evolutionary exaggeration, much like the hip to waist ratio. Whereas if you show a silhouette of women to men, the hip to waist ratio of the woman will determine how attractive the man finds her. And that's for childbearing, right? Absolutely. But it goes so far as if you show them an extreme hip to waist ratio, like 50% hip to waist ratio, which is absurd and would actually be terrible for childbearing and unnatural to find in the real world, they find that more attractive than a 70% hip to waist ratio hip to waist ratio so our brain has gone to the extreme in that direction you see what i'm saying
1: i well i don't agree with that but yes i see what you're saying
0: <laughs> so which part don't you agree with
1: uh, the extreme hip to weight ratio no i don't not, find that threat no but it's that's not, my personal
0: opinion. yeah no it's not I'm, not I'm not asking what you're into scott uh, <laughs> No, I'm telling you that that's, that's what ends up happening statistically, is they that men will rate the women higher with the extreme hip-to-waist ratios. And, it's, and it doesn't make sense because that's not good for childbearing at that point, right? And so this evolutionary thing in our brain has just gotten so extreme in that direction. And so I'm wondering if the same thing happened with our wondering of why, if we just wondered why this rock, this berry, this, this, here and there took off over time and has just hit a point where now we're like why us
1: i i think mankind has always asked how did we get here why are we here Mm -hmm. and that's why religion has been around for thousands and thousands of years even before christian religion was here there was religion saying that there were higher beings or something that created this because Mm -hmm. we are too uncomfortable with the idea that we were an accident and it just happened through evolution that we just by questioning why or how or what can we do to change things we evolved mm. You know or need for other things I don't know, I, I always joke and say that women are the reason why the human race has evolved the way it has and the reason for that is if men had their way we would still be living in caves we'd have a big barbecue and a giant screen TV and that would be all we needed, but women <laughs> thought it was drafty in a cave and we needed to put a door over it and then it was dark so we needed lights and windows and carriages were uncomfortable so let's build something more comfortable to ride in so we evolved to cars and yeah and i'm pretty sure that women are the reason why the human race has evolved to this day
0: yeah (laughs) well that brings me to what you're talking about this incessant need to improve and there's uh joe rogan talks a lot about this idea that maybe that's part of our programming maybe we're meant to just continue improving until we build this new thing that we integrate with
1: absolutely i kind of sometimes have this scientific Perfect. Um, are not scientific, this science fiction idea that we're, like you say, maybe a computer that was programmed to start this and see where it could go or Mm -hmm. continually advance and improve. And I don't know where the end is.
0: Yeah. Well, then people talk about simulation theory where statistically or mathematically or something, we are highly likely in a simulation. And uh, I'm just like, okay, well, where's the difference between the words simulation and universe? Like, yeah, where, how are those two words that different? in meaning well, then you
1: start looking at things like the like the movie yeah the goofy stuff going on yeah
0: right? and when people yeah, are like, absolutely oh it's all a simulation i'm like okay well even if we are in a simulation, then everything's still real, right? Like you're still, by our definition of being in this simulation, it's still real. You're still experiencing pain. You're still experiencing emotions. You still have an experience that's within the simulation. So it doesn't really change anything on how you should behave if we're in a simulation.
1: No, because we don't know how to get out of the simulation. So either way, you have to adapt to the simulation that you're in.
0: Right. And even if you get out, isn't it another simulation?
1: <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's all <laughs> turtles all the way down. <laughs> It's all I yeah. think
1: you're right that our constant need to, to question everything has led to our evolution. I'm sure of it.
0: Yeah. And I'm just wondering constant
1: need to improve, the constant need to question things.
0: Yeah. and and i'm i'm wondering like this because comparing the idea of our our thoughts on why we exist giving you the feeling that there must be a reason feels less possible as opposed to we just question everything and we had to at some point question our own existence
1: well and that's that's the thing you start questioning everything in your life and then you reach the point just like you said where we've gained enough intelligence to actually sit back and go okay so why are we here Mm -hmm. yeah once
0: everyone's fed
1: selves to this questioning, questioning, questioning to the point where, wait a minute, now I'm understanding who I am in my environment. Why am I here? Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting thought for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. So with the yes, but, and yes, and comparison. Where I kind of came to that conclusion, we, we built this uh, 0.5 analogy. So the 0. 0.5 analogy is if I'm talking like I am now, I have to explain steps of the way. I can't just say the punchline or you're not going to get it. Yes. And as I'm going and I'm hitting each little point, you do things like say yes, or you nod your head or something like that to assure me that you're following along correctly. Yep. And I'm going from point one, two, to 3 to 4 to 5. And that's where the whole point five analogy comes in. I was finding problems in all of my relationships and I did not have a way to explain this until Charisma. And we broke it down and we came to an explanation that it was this point 0.5 framework that I now have. And I was I was very emotional when we came to it because it was the major conflict all in all my relationships prior because it was this idea that I, I need to be right. I, I knew everything I needed right. This feeling that these people were having when I was in relationships with them and having conversations with them, that was not the case. The case was that I wanted to go somewhere. I had a point five in my mind that I wanted to get to. And as I'm sure you can tell, Scott, I am not short for words when I explain these things. I am a very verbose individual. I like to use a lot of words and paint a fancy picture as i go on my journey to this point five and so i'd be trying to bring them to a place and they would say something that would diverge the direction they would say yeah okay point two cool now let's go over here and i'm like yes but and uh, <laughs> we didn't get to point five yet. yes exactly and i'd be like well okay no or not that and i'd be trying to bring and then they'd be like you're not listening to what i'm saying you think i'm wrong blah, blah 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 and i'm like you're not wrong i'm trying i'm listening i get what you're saying it makes sense you're making valid points it's just not where i'm going so i have found incredibly useful this point five analogy because charisma and i now have it where she says something i say something and then she goes no no, 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 no. 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5. And I'm like, oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta just sit along for the ride here. I gotta let her go. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that's where my, my, uh, yes. And has come in because I learned that when people try and diverge the conversation in a direction that I don't want to go, if I say yes, and I've acknowledged that they've made a valid point and then I move it back in the direction that I wanted to go.
1: That's a good way of looking at it. Absolutely. For sure. Um, yeah, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's very worthwhile experimenting with from my perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next time you're that
1: being a- said. What gives you the right to steer the conversation the way you want
0: it to go? That's a great question, Scott. <laughs> yes, and that's that's where when I was talking to Rob, he was talking about agendas and how each person in a conversation has an agenda, and then the third agenda is the emergent agenda yes. agenda that comes to be. Well, that's,
1: when I talk when I talk about policing, I tell everybody there's three sides to every story. Hmm. There's your opinion. There's their opinion. Somewhere in the middle is. A recollection of the truth. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you got to find. And it's when you have that conversation with someone. When you have a conversation, with someone like you say, there's three conversations. Mm-hmm. There's your conversation, what I'm going at, and then there's that invisible uh, Lego system in the middle that we're yeah. creating.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly. I was just about to say that. That's perfect. That's where it all ties in. Is my agenda is my Lego structure that I can see, and your agenda is the one that you can see, and the emergent one is the one that comes out of the two kind of formed, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yeah, and your question that is, what gives me the right to direct the conversation, is a great question because I also kind of hybrid this analogy with like navigating a jungle, and that the speaker essentially has a map, and they're like, okay, let's go this way, let's go that way, right? And every once in a while, someone else in the conversation, whether it's a group or one other person, can grab. Of the map and be like okay but like let's check this out over here while we're over here or something like that or they can take over and take it in a new direction
1: yes ultimately the conversation usually starts with somebody having an agenda mm-hmm. this is what i want to get across to you mm-hmm. so where that conversation goes from that is depending on the variations of the person you're talking
0: to. yeah absolutely and <laughs> and this quite I love the question what gives me the right and nothing really gives me the right other than like common it, courtesy yeah most of yeah exactly and it I think that becomes complicated because sometimes you get caught up where I guess this is where it comes in where people say oh that guy he can just talk and talk right <laughs> yes. where, you, where you run into someone and they're like oh hey and they start taking you on a journey through a jungle and you're like oh shit you're like I, ha- I got somewhere to be i don't want to be rude but they're like let's go check out this tree over here and there's a rock and let's turn the rock over and there's a little iguana underneath and you're just like oh fuck. They, yes. Right. Absolutely. And, and they're so nice. They're so and kind. And
1: I'm sure I've done it both.
0: I've definitely and done it to people. I know I've
1: had it done to me. <laughs>
0: yep. Yep. You know, on that subject, my something that I have paid attention to often, and I don't I'm not I'm not a master of like body language or anything, but one of the main things that I've paid attention to with what we're talking about now is this like holding <laughs> people up is where people's feet are facing when you're talking to someone and it's kind of like the end of something or they're passing through and you've caught them or whatever it is if you pay attention to where their feet are facing while you're talking to them that's how you can determine whether or not you're being a nice rude person
1: (laughs) (laughs) kind of pointing away from me yeah tells me that you're kind of the conversation
0: yeah that's exactly i Have you ever paid attention to that?
1: I've never really thought about it. I usually, I usually can tell when I'm getting people to the point where, okay, I've kept you too long. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, You seem pretty empathetic in that way. It's this, pay attention to it sometime. It's really, really profound how well it works. If you pay attention to where people's feet are facing, if their feet are facing you, they're loving what you're saying. They are, they're game, they're in for it. Whatever you're saying, just keep going. Like they're having a good time. If their feet are facing like 90 degrees, they're kind of on the fence. Yeah right like or like 45 or something but if they have like one foot turned directly away (laughs) from you they're trying to escape. Wrap that shit up. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're... you're you're probably onto
0: something. There. Yeah, I have found that immensely helpful in my life.
1: <laughs> the grocery store conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: And like, did you ever run into that as a police officer where oh, you're on the job and people are like, hey, time.
1: officer. All the time. Because like I said, it's, it's a spotlight profession. Mm-hmm. So you have your people who somehow love the police and want to know everything they do and what their opinions are on everything. And they kind of put you on a pedestal, which sadly I shouldn't be on a pedestal of any kind because um, I'm no different or better than anybody else. They want your opinion and they they want to tell you stories and they want to hear your thoughts because of your position. And uh, it's sad that they have to uh, justify their life through my, uh, like I said, I have no intrinsic value to give anybody of, as an opinion, but um, yeah, it's,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So about being a police officer, you you have a certain amount of power and have you heard of the stanford prison experiment probably
1: but it doesn't ring a bell
0: okay they this professor took some uh, college students put them in like a, i think it was a section of the school that wasn't being used anymore or something like that and he assigned some of them to be prisoners and others to be guards and the rule was like no violence no physical violence so you gotta punish the prisoners for not listening with other things and like there was another rule i th- think it was like they have to eat all of the food on their plate every time they were served and they weren't served like the greatest food or something like that. And I believe he intended he screened everyone for like a history of violence and all kinds of other shit to make sure he didn't have any ex-criminals or anything involved in it right they were all normal nice seeming people and he intended on it running two weeks and i think he had to pull the plug after three days and someone might have died or almost died and it just got incredibly out of hand and what caused him to stop was his uh one of his students she came in to check on how his experiment was going and to check on him and the look of horror on her face was what made him go oh shit i need to stop <laughs> oh, doing God, this God, got a too far. yeah and it was because he realized that he was basically in the role of warden he had assumed the psychological position that he was a warden for this makeshift jail so right. he had power yes and i th- i believe not entirely sure but i believe that he is he at least after that study was a, un, of the opinion that all humans are capable of horrible awful things when they're put in a position of power if the circumstances are right he's like kind of had this idea of i think there was something about like the people in guantanamo bay or something and how he's like i blame no man for the horrible things they do if they're in a position of power because power Corrupts absolutely, or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, that's the old saying, right? Yeah.
0: And so, thirty-three years on the job, you must have, whether or not you recall, had a moment where you were uh, even just a little bit abusing <sighs> your power. Do you? The question I have <sighs> is: Do you recall a moment where you either, in the moment, were going a little too hard with your power, and then like, oh shit, maybe I should dial it back, or after the fact, where you thought back to it and you were like, yeah, maybe, maybe that was a little too much. <sighs> Honestly, I it would require incredible anything, was, humility to be able to pull that out. I'm just asking for the sake of asking.
1: I think, if anything, I was the opposite. Um, I was so afraid of abusing my power and so afraid of being hated that I tried very hard to be as balanced and neutral as possible. Um, I wrote, I'll give you an example. So, I was a traffic cop for 12 years, and my job was traffic enforcement speed limits, seat belts, all this. And I wrote a lot of tickets on the 401 highway and all over the place, actually. but I had a set of standards that I held myself to. Um, and it's like the old, uh, you, know, you know, you know, you're know, you okay on the 401 if you don't drive more than 20 over the speed limit. Generally, nobody will bother if you're under that. My limit was higher than So I felt that I was more than justified for stopping people that were doing 30 and higher over the speed limit. Sometimes I would stop people and depending on what their record was like or their attitude was like, that would make the decision for me and whether I'm writing a ticket or not. If they had a horrendous driving record, then I'm sorry, you you need some action that's going to correct your behavior so you're getting a ticket. Or if you I pull you over and you say, oh, hey, I got this going on in my life and this is what's on my mind right now and I've never had a ticket before, I'm really, really sorry, then I'm more than likely to go. Okay, I can see that. Have a great day. Um, I was very, I tried very consciously to be, and I can, and this is going to sound stupid, but 99% of the people that I wrote tickets to thanked me when they left. Really? (laughs) So don't feel like I abused my power. How? There How do they thank times... you? You treat them like a person. You you explain what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. And, and they appreciate. I think people honestly respect you if you give them a legitimate reason for what you're doing and treat them kindly and with respect. Mm-hmm. You generally get respect back. That's awesome. Um, now, did I unfairly write tickets to some people, um, abuse my authority, as you say? Yeah, I stopped some people and they treat me like absolute dirt, then I'm very likely not to give them a deal or a break. Because again, that goes back to the golden rule. I was always raised by the golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. Mm. You want to treat me like an asshole. I'm going to treat you like an asshole back. Mm. Sorry, um, you, you're nice to me. I'm going to be nice to you. And I I don't recall specifically going overboard with anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, it would be really hard to recall something like that, let alone be aware of it at the time, right? Because Because these are, like, I don't think even these people in this experiment that I was explaining, I don't think they were thinking they were going overboard. Even the professor didn't think he was going overboard, right? Right. So it's a really difficult human thing to have um, awareness of.
1: I don't recall ever holding my power over anybody mm-hmm. um like hey i'm this and you better not do that
0: yeah, because i said so yeah
1: yeah, I, yeah <laughs> i've never been that kind of guy yeah
0: you don't seem like that kind of guy
1: um i did my job the best of my abilities i and like i said i wrote all kinds of tickets as a traffic cop mm-hmm. and i hardly i think in my entire career i can count on one hand the number of people who came in and complained about me mm-hmm. uh, because i like i said treat people the way they want to be treated mm-hmm. hey you, you you broke the law this is why i'm here this is what we're going to to do. I see by your record you, you have a habit of this. I'm sorry. Um this isn't where a break is needed. This is where you maybe need to talk to the MTO and say, hey, I should I should keep my license because I really want to and I need it for my job. Well then you got to change your behavior. Mm-hmm. Those rules were set in force by they're set in place by society supposedly yep. to help us all. Um, so that's why you have to be held to that account, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Well hey hey man don't let it keep you up at night. It was just a question. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, while you laying in bed Did I abuse my power? I'm an awful person. No, no, that's good. Uh, I like that answer. So the something that you're kind of talking about and mentioned trust quite a lot. Trust is there's there's two frameworks and I can tell the one you operate on. Some people operate on trust no one until they give you enough reasons to trust them. You seem to be the kind of person like myself that operates on trust everyone until they give you a reason not to.
1: Yes. and, And that can be bad as a cop. Right. Mm. Um, but that being
0: said. And that I, that's what I wanted to kind of address is that I feel like a lot of police officers would probably operate more if you had to kind of, I don't know, interview or survey people. I bet you the profession that is police officers would be a higher population of people that operate under trust. No one unless they give you enough reason to trust them. So yeah, I find absolutely. it so fascinating that you're in the other boat.
1: And I'm just lucky maybe. I don't know. Maybe I was lucky to get by all these years without anything happening because of that trust. I don't know. Um, I know that when I teach younger people now about policing, I I basically tell them not to trust (laughs) (laughs) any.
0: Okay, so so you operated. But I
1: pride myself in the ability to to read people, Mm -hmm. and I trust my judgment on how
0: to read. But you don't trust your student's ability to read people.
1: No, not necessarily. And so you shouldn't trust anybody until you acquire that ability that's my mind Mm -hmm. um and so i'll give you an example so been with my wife for 30 years
0: congratulations we
1: meet people and in the past this has happened we've met people couples and afterwards of course as a couple you discuss it you know what did you think of this couple Mm. and i've been criticized by my wife for saying i don't care for that person. There's something about them that I don't, that, that just doesn't sit well with me mm-hmm. through the way they talk or their actions or whatever has led me to not really, don't really want to spend time with that
0: person. They rub you the wrong way. There's
1: just something. And my wife laughingly calls it my spidey sense. <laughs> and over the years, unfortunately, my spidey senses have proven fairly accurate because my wife's always like, no, they seem really nice. You're just misreading them. They're a good person, blah, blah, blah. After more visits, more time together after a while i get the you know what i think you're right that person is something's not right there (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's always after the fact yeah and and over the years my wife has said yeah i don't know why i don't trust your opinions because most times it works out and i don't know if that's from years of policing where you meet so many people in so many circumstances, you start to learn how to read people. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm full of shit. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> no, but that that's, would,
0: that would totally make sense. I mean, your job is to be reading people at all times when you're like, you're talking about, you're in that high alert mode. And yes, if you're not reading people, if you're not anticipating their next move could be in danger, right. Or someone else could be in danger.
1: And then that's what I tell uh, young people when I talk about this is there's nothing wrong with being friendly and 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 treating people nice doesn't mean necessarily that i'm going to turn my back on them and trust them um because anything can happen at any time but no reason to treat them bad because you don't trust them you can you can still not trust people and be nice Mm -hmm.
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. I've had, I've had some people that like, they so getting get into too much detail <laughs> that like come to my gym and just being around them over a little bit of time. I'm like, I do not like this person. Yeah. Oh God, I don't like them. And then any kind of interaction with, that I have with them, I'm just nice, positive. Part of it is like, I'm a business owner. You kind of gotta be. Yes. But also I'm like, this person hasn't given me a reason to be mean to them. They're still a person. And I try to remember like, I am that person. If I had every circumstance that they've had from birth up until this point, I would be them. And so I kind of just like my initial judgment, I let that sit on the back burner and try and be nice. And then over time, eventually come to a point where I'm like, hey, they're actually not so bad. Like they're not a shining star, but like they're not the awful person that I thought they were. I well, you start to
1: see things from a different perspective as yeah. you understand them more, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, well, that's the empathy thing. That's all about trust and understanding people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, you, you, some people get it right away. Some people, it takes time and trust to build that and understand it. And the more experience with that person, the better you get at it. And other people can read it sooner i don't know um but it's empathy a lot of it's empathy because after a while you start to realize okay this like you say this person's not my cup of tea but they're not evil mm-hmm. yeah exactly they're just not who i want to be. yeah exactly. and that's okay yeah
0: it's i i think that i think it's kind of important to double down on that Point, they're not evil because it can sometimes feel like there's just so much evil in the world and I think there's enough but I think that when you really take the time to learn individuals that there's not as much evil as it feels like
1: no and, and it comes back to conversation and misunderstanding exactly like you said oftentimes you're not in their shoes you don't understand why they did what they did you just think it's wrong mm-hmm. yeah. then when you look at it and you talk to them and get opinions and how they were feeling at the time you go okay I can see why you did what you did at that
0: time Mm -hmm. yeah i i've been thinking about this idea that we're all filters so like when you when you hear an opinion from someone that is something you very much disagree with and you're like it's something that makes you just kind of roll your eyes and be like holy shit how could you possibly think that like for example if someone was just straight up like yeah all black people are stupid or something like that i would just be like oh my god how did you just say that like how could you possibly have that as a genuine opinion like what kind of freaking life circumstance led you to that or anything of that manner right yes and it's interesting because it's like we're all this accumulation there's this simultaneous thing that we just talked about where we're where all this accumulation of our happenstance from birth until any given moment and all the experiences and opinions and communication that we've had accumulating over time to turn us into at any given moment in time, we are a filter of all of those things. We now have something that comes out based on all of those things that we've had in our life, right? Yeah. And when you judge someone on their opinions, it's like you're just judging how good of a filter they are.
1: Oh, I suppose. I see. I right. see where you're going with that. Yeah. So it's I like I finally see what side of the Lego you're building here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There we go. Yeah. So it's like we're just all filters judging each other's ability to be a filter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And not necessarily. And because what they filter is different than what you filter, because like you said, their experiences, their lifestyle, their choices in life. Mm-hmm have made them a different person than you exactly absolutely and yeah. that's the biggest thing with communicating just because what i uh see and understand is not the same as what you see and understand because we come from it from different perspectives mm-hmm. and that's all what communication is is understanding that those options are there
0: yeah and it just makes me think like it i just feel like building that kind of image makes it a lot easier to not be upset with people or not think people are bad people. It's like, oh, you're just a different filter than I am. You've just had different things that have built you to the filter you are.
1: It's, it's, um, yes, absolutely. And then as long as you can understand that you can communicate with those people, even though their filter is different than yours, their understanding, their accepting of certain things is different than what you would accept. You can understand where they're coming from and you can communicate with them, Mm -hmm. even though it's not your typical conversation that you you enjoy because you have that understanding
0: yeah yeah and and i find it fascinating when someone will say the example i gave earlier or if people are like oh yeah we should just you know these kind of people should just be killed or those kind of people are useless or i don't like gays or whatever it is and it's like holy shit, what have you been through you know, you know like how yes. how do you get to there this seems crazy to me because like i I feel like there's certain things that we need to just i've thought i've thought a lot about how like there's people just debating all kinds of shit especially right now and people are debating nuanced things like holy shit i'm not gonna get into it but what is a woman (laughs) yeah like people debating gender and stuff it's like what hang on guys i'm just like can we come to an agreement on some simple stuff first like like, how about you should like violence is violence necessary it's like okay well that's too complicated it's too broad spectrum of an answer it's like a dinner plate question but if we dial that down to something a little more specific and you're like, should you be violent towards someone just because they have a different religion than you? Well, no, right. Like no, you shouldn't.
1: Well then where do you draw the line? They like the color red and you like the color blue, so I
0: hate you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like if they <laughs> like red and you like blue and you want to be violent towards them because of that, that's probably a bad idea too. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up, Scott, right? Like <laughs> that's But <laughs> well, I mean I'm where do
1: you draw the line? That like do you draw the line at religion? Do you, do you, do you draw the line at opinion? you draw the line at color?
0: That's my point, Scott, is yes. why the hell don't we draw some freaking lines? Why don't we have that conversation as a society, as a culture, and be like, okay, if someone doesn't like the same color as you, you can't be violent towards them. That's, that's a no-no. That's not a well, good reason. S-
1: luckily, most of society gets that. There's still a lot of people that only see in black or white, and they don't ex- accept that there's gray
0: which is fine if that individual is, I don't know, Dave that works at a factory and goes fishing on the weekend. But once those individuals get to be, say, a police officer or a judge or a prime minister, then you get to a point where you're like, okay, this guy needs to get his head straight. This individual needs to clearly sort some shit out for some obvious things. Like, I mean, for example, our prime minister calling people racist as just his like opt out for things. Yes. He's that's he's, his go-to. Yeah, he's just notorious for calling people racist when they don't agree with him. And it's like, yeah. that's not how that works. <laughs> you can't just do that. It's so but hilarious. that's
1: buzzword that society jumps on.
0: I know, but it's like racism is in an all-time low with modern culture compared to where it was. And this guy's just throwing the word racism around to get out of everything.
1: Like <laughs> The guy who wore blackface yeah. twice? <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, what the hell are we talking about? So I just mean, I think certain things like that need to be like, can you call someone racist? Okay. Under what circumstance? can title someone as racist we should define that shit so that people can't just willy-nilly throw that around vaguely and then everyone's like oh i guess those people are racist because he's the prime minister and he says things that are correct or whatever
1: he know? said it so it's got to be true yeah it's like why? that's do... what i mean there's people that don't accept the gray in the world mm-hmm. and and you have to understand that there's nothing is absolute when dealing with people there's no right wrong black white it's there's a lot of variations and that that's what makes the human race so interesting is the variations that we have. You can't can't live in a black and white world because it doesn't work. And you're mm-hmm. going to be constantly in confrontation because of it. What's a man? What's a woman? Well, you don't fit a male or female profile, so you're not either. Well, yeah, there are gray areas and there's going to be. And that's OK mm. because it, guess what? It doesn't directly affect you. Mm-hmm. So why are you upset about this? Yeah. Your neighbor paints his house yellow. You don't like yellow. That's his flavor of the week, whatever. It's I not. Don't it's like not yellow a houses.
0: Don't like it's... yellow houses. <laughs>
1: And unfortunately, people have a hard time understanding that there's a there, there's gonna be gray area mm-hmm. and policing is all about the
0: gray area. And that's what I was gonna ask next. Is like you're talking about when you were pulling people over on the 401 and you were like, Oh, if anyone goes over 30, 30 over the limit, that's when I pull them over because like you're advised to do 20 over the limit. And you're like, Yeah. No, we
1: weren't no, no, we were never advised. Oh, you were never advised. Interesting. No, that was just something that guys did, and you everybody followed
0: that. See, I find that so fascinating. It's like because speed limits is math it's numbers yeah. and this it's is, an absolute yeah this is the one thing where there isn't a gray area like right you can't two plus two and maybe get something other than four it's always four period non-negotiable right so like ever since i was a kid when my dad was speeding he was going like 16 over the limit which is usually what i go everywhere i was like dad you're speeding and he's like well yeah they don't really you know and i'm like but it's a number and i'm like me and as yeah. a child i'm like no numbers like it's super simple and he's like yeah well he's trying to explain to me and i never got it i never understood and like now you're saying that it wasn't even like no no chief nobody of authority at any point said hey guys anything 20 anything Anything under 20 over is fine no one said that to you at any point that was just nope. a understood thing yep. that's hilarious to me because like well
1: okay so how far back do you want to go though where do you allow so is 80 if the speed limit's 80 is 81 in offense? yes so now i'm saying that the mechanical devices in your car mm-hmm. are and you tell me that that die that arm mm-hmm. on a pendulum the needle width is two kilometers yep and the gauge is it has 80 and 90 yep. and a stick in the middle.
0: Yeah, yeah. So and, I the, mean,
1: and the needle itself is two kilometers wide. Right. But so do I write you up for 81?
0: Because speed limit is 80. But realistically, it's no different than right now because the speed limit is 80, but I never go over 100. Because if I'm going under 100, I'm really not going to get pulled over. I shouldn't say never. There's occasions where I'm late for work right? I'll be honest. But rarely do I ever go over 180. Rarely do I ever go over 110 in a 90. I always use that 20 kilometer rule. So what's the difference between me staying under 120 and I stay under 120 as in like 116, because then that two kilometer needle, I got a little bit of wiggle room, right? I know I'm not going to be over 120. So what's the difference between that and actually having a hard, fast thing? There's no difference. It's just nobody would, if the speed limits on the 401, for example, for what were one, 120 nobody would be going 120 everyone would be going 115 112 110 whatever their comfort level is on how close you want to get to the edge of that what the word limit means how about that right (laughs)
1: like i always said there should be a minimum and a maximum mm -hmm. and it should be strictly enforced Yes. So you're on the highway and it's, it's, you want people to travel 80 kilometers an hour. The minimum is 70. The maximum is 90. Yeah. You should be within that range.
0: I totally agree with that.
1: If you're going 60, I'm going to give you a ticket. This yep. is not the road for you. Unless you've you got going 100, going on, like This gotta... is not your speed. This is not the road for you. Yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, like you say, everybody's going to push the limit.
0: Yeah. And so I, if we
1: have if we have a variable limit, you can be somewhere in that range and be comfortable. It's not going to hurt anybody. We're all traveling at roughly the same speed. Mm-hmm, I've, you got to remember that it all comes down to, and this is hard to explain to people, too, especially young police officers, because they don't they don't understand it until they actually get out there and do it. But traffic generally flows in a varies like that. Mm-hmm. Most people travel that range. Mm-hmm. the people that the problems have when there's huge discrepancies in that range so you got somebody now doing 106 coming up on people doing 110 mm-hmm. that's where we have problem right so mm-hmm. those are the variations that we as police officers want to eliminate because mm-hmm. that's where i'm going to investigate a crack mm-hmm. that's where there's going to be a problem
0: yeah and then at that point it's i mean it's almost like it's kind of, I guess it's come to a point where stay around 100, don't go too much over 100 and go with the flow of traffic, yes. right? Because like yes. I've been in Toronto area and or on the QEW out to Niagara and going 140 and getting run over by people. And
1: that's the flow of
0: traffic, yes, yeah, I'm Absolutely. like And I, I get to, when I was in my little shitbox Volkswagen 2001, right? And I get up to like 130 and the whole thing's vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going as fast as these people. My car is going to blow up. It's just it's so interesting to me because it's like it, now that we're having the discussion, I'm kind of realizing that it's almost as if we're at a point where the law is don't go too far over this number and go with the flow of traffic. So, yeah,
1: because ultimately that's where it's safe. Yeah. Right. I stopped a guy for speeding a long time ago in a Volvo, going 180 kilometers an hour. And he said to me, "Volvo's one of the safest cars made on the road. Do you agree with me, officer? And I said, yes, I've seen crash reports. I know Volvo is particularly Really well-known for its safety features. And he says, this is a brand new stretch of paved highway. They've paid the paving companies to make sure that it's level, it's smooth. There's no deviations in the pavement so that there won't be any problems, right? And I said, yes. So he says, theoretically, there's nothing that can go wrong with me going 180 on this highway. And of course, my answer was, this road is only as safe as the poorest driver out here. Mm-hmm. So you might be perfectly safe going 180, but the guy that's reaching for his uh, coffee cup that he dropped and Swerves into your lane, would you rather get hit at 180 or would you rather get hit at a hundred? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it all comes down to. It's mm-hmm. about the flow of traffic. It's about keeping things consistent so that it's safe.
0: Well, that's the thing, right? It, it gets down to a point where it's this whole safety of it. I saw like a artificial intelligence or digital rendition of like a virtual car hitting a post at different speeds. And like once you get up to certain speeds, it's just there's nothing left. It's like, no, that there's no safety features. There's no nothing's gonna help you. Yeah, nothing's going to help you. You're dead. And it's like that speed isn't much more than 100 kilometers an hour, right? Like once you get up faster than 100 kilometers an hour, you're hitting speeds where you're just dead. If you hit something that dead stops you, there's.
1: But this will all be a moot point because we're all going to have electric vehicles. Yeah. And then then the government can just control the speed of all those vehicles <laughs> all at the same
0: time. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's exactly it control the speed of all of them, shut them all down. I mean, you look at the movie, I robot where he's just sitting in a car and it's just driving him. And then he takes over on manual mode, like escape the robots or some shit. And it's like, yeah, we're possibly just moving towards that, but it's already happening. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Tesla already controls their cars. Yeah. They do updates. They do upgrades. They, uh, when California had the wildfires, Tesla upgraded all the people who lived in California so that their battery would last longer. So they could get out of the fire zones.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's already here. They upgraded their batteries remotely.
1: Yes. <laughs> they downloaded a different program into the car that would extend the battery power so the car would last longer to get them out of California. Yeah. Or where the wildfires were
0: i guess the only defense i could possibly f- think for that is that maybe operating it like that does not account for the longevity of the battery maybe that wears the battery out faster
1: probably Be- there's probably some scientific reason why they set it at a certain limit mm-hmm. but it's interesting to note that they could willy-nilly change it whenever they felt like it yeah owners didn't know
0: that is very interesting to know. And so
1: the, the argument is, do you actually own the car when the manufacturer can change anything on it at any time?
0: That's a good point. And <laughs> that's made me wonder about vehicles i've had a lot of apocalypse style thoughts lately since the pandemic and i thought about like what is what is the car that you should get like what is the internal combustion engine easy to repair yourself will never die tough as nails old school vehicle you should get that has like almost no digital parts in it for just in case shit goes south yeah
1: a 1965 anything yeah is pretty much there <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's what i've been thinking about yeah okay well we've been going For pretty much two hours here, Scott. This has been a blast. I've I've (laughs) had fun. We didn't resolve anything or come to any conclusions, but. (laughs) What do you mean? We resolved a lot of stuff. We talked about It lot was interesting. Of it was awesome. Yeah. Um, I have one last question for you that I like to try to remember to ask everyone. If you could imagine the consciousness represented by a little man in your head watching a laptop screen, right? Or a screen of some sort. You know how people put sticky notes on the side of their screen to help them remember things? Yeah. Okay. If you could write something on a sticky note that would just magically appear in the consciousness of all people on the planet all at once, what would you write on that sticky note? Treat people like you want to be treated. That's solid. I like that one.
1: I- I by that yeah it's been my philosophy and i think that got me through 33 years of policing without a lot of confrontation because of that
0: yeah that's a good one well all right scott is there anything else you want to say to our potential listeners maybe eight of them
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we didn't really talk much about too much about policing but (laughs) sure we we did. did we did have some good communication
0: yeah well do you is there anything more about policing that you wanted to talk about
1: Oh, uh, we there's no there's no limit to where we could have gone with that. <laughs> no, we're good. Okay. <laughs>
0: all right. Awesome. And uh, you're not really a social media guy or anything, so we will end that there. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna cut that there. Yep. I just wanted to touch on that. Did you feel like we didn't talk about enough police-related things? Is that
1: no? I, I, the conversation went a different direction than I thought it would. That's all.
0: Okay. Is that okay? And that's
1: that's not good or bad. Okay. This is just it went different than I thought it would. That's all.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like it's talking about talking, right? So and, and once
1: you said that, then I was like, oh, okay, that this makes
0: sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like I I tried to tie everything back into policing as much as possible. Like, did you have situations where, or did you yeah. notice? Yeah. right. Yeah.
1: No, no, it was good. Okay. when I realized that, yes, the podcast is about conversation and the art of communicating, then it made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good. But Okay.
0: cool, man. I just wanted to make sure that my my agenda didn't override yours or anything like that.
1: It no, we were building two different Lego models. And now I uh, towards the middle of the conversation, I realized what your side of the model looked like.
0: Okay. cool. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) You see how useful that is? It's very useful. I know, right? we got to find a term for that. Well, I mean, maybe we just use Lego hologram and just stick with it. (laughs) I don't know. Hey, you listening to this right now, you yes, you. I appreciate that you've listened to it this far. That's awesome. And that means that you at least enjoyed it or else you would have stopped it and went and done something else. And It would be really cool if you could share it with someone. I'm sure you know somebody that might also enjoy it. So just, you know, hit the little share button and there'll be like a link you can copy and you can just text it to your BFF Jill. I don't know if you know a Jill. I don't know. Just somebody. Just share it with one person and I will be forever grateful. Thank you. Have a great day.